the uh, video actually links verse 1 with the previous chapter, but I'd like to read it to you. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Someone gave me a book with some jokes and I thought you'd be pleased to know that. And <laughs> it has a section on definitions. And it has two interesting definitions which actually are quite relevant or related to, to this. One is the uh, definition of consciousness. And they said it's the annoying gap between naps. <laughs> That's for those who are older. So anyone having a nap this morning, you see. And uh, the other one that was uh, relevant is holiday. It's the two weeks that you spend, 50 weeks of the year, working towards. <laughs> That's for those who are still at work, you see. But if you're the sort of person that is always looking for those two weeks and never happy in what you're doing, you're going to be very sad. Aren't you? Is that right, you know? And uh, Jesus didn't spend a lot of time up the mountain. He, he, he's up the mountain uh, in chapter 5, 6 and 7 and then they go up the mountain again in chapter 17. But in between that, there's a lot goes on and up the mountain is lovely. The air is fresh and it's good. And we long for mountaintop experiences when we seem to be alone with God. But it's down in the valley where things grow. It's down in the valley where things get sorted out. It's down in the valley where lives are changed. And it is in this chapter. Jesus has been teaching. I don't think there's any miracles in the, in the last three chapters, but there's loads in this one. Last time I spoke, they gave me to speak on the faith of Samson. You know, there was about that much you know, to, to work on. And this time they've given me chapter 8, which is about this much to fit in. <laughs> there we are. But Jesus' words always matched up with what he did. Uh, just this last week, I had a boy at school who uh, did a very dangerous thing. He proved me wrong. Now, that is a very dangerous thing to do. He didn't realise he was doing it. So I said, you've proved me wrong. That's dangerous. And I walked menacingly towards him. He moved, dodged around the other side of the table. And as I walked around the table, he walked around to get the opposite side. And when I changed direction, slowly walking again, he, uh, he changed direction too. He said, sir, I'm not scared of you. I said, your, your voice is telling me one message, your legs are telling me another message. But Jesus' words and his works were always in line with each other. Isn't that lovely? You know? And it's good if we can be the same. So he's come down from the mountain, and they're not going up to chapter 17. Get used to it. Most of your life is spent in the valley doing ordinary things. So I looked at it and I thought, look at this chapter, there's so much going on, how do I deal with it? And then I began to see the key, the two keys. One is that they'd come down from the mountain, which is why I wanted to mention that verse, even though it wasn't on the video. And uh, the other one uh, was in the verbs, the doing words connected with Jesus. 
And I just quickly want to go through them before I start looking at the chapter. Jesus reached out to, uh, reached out to the leper. He entered Capernaum. He saw Peter's mother-in-law. He touched her hand. He drove out evil spirits. He healed the sick. He saw the crowd. He got into the boat. He slept in the storm. He got up in a boat. He rebuked wind and waves. He drove out evil spirits. So that's just 12. And that doesn't include what he said. So I think the key to the chapter is it's what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing. He's been teaching. He's going to do some doing now to back it up. And that's one page of my two pages of notes. We should soon be there. It is for 12 o'clock. We're finished, isn't it? Yeah. Now, if you look, I just want to go through most of these. Not all, I'm not going to go to every one. There are a few. And there are two I've chosen for you to, to consider uh, in your cell groups this week. First of all, now notice there's a man who had leprosy. Now, they never talked about healing leprosy, always cleansing leprosy. It was connected with a need to clean up somebody. And it might be in our own lives, sometimes... There's things to be cleared up. There's things to be cleaned up. Maybe. And uh, it's making a mess of our lives one way or another. It's spoiling what's in our family. And maybe someone like that needs a touch from Jesus. Touching is very important. There was a lovely story told about a man who went into a, I think it was probably a Church of England, a, for a special service, maybe Christmas or something. And uh, as, I, uh, uh, as, as he went in, the, the man gave out him the hymn book or whatever and, and shook his hand. And the man who just come in dissolved into tears. And they sat him down at the pew at the back and brought him a glass of water and some tissues and eventually told what it was all about. His wife had died a few years earlier. They had no children or immediate family. He was okay, you know, he was in reasonable health, thought he'd go to the church. And, and that time when somebody shook his hand was the first time for years that anybody had touched him. That's all it was. He just longed for the touch of another human being onto him. How much we need the touch of Jesus in our lives. Nothing I learned from this in verse 3. The man says, if you are willing, Jesus said, I am willing. Jesus does not necessarily, from my experience and my looking at the scriptures, does not necessarily heal every sickness in every person where they ask. We've known that, all of us, I'm sure. Prayed for people and prayed in faith. But it's not been God's plan. And it wasn't like that for Jesus either. Did you realise that? That there was a man sat outside the gate, beautiful. Been there for years and years and years. Jesus must have walked past him probably many times. He was never healed. Jesus died and went back to heaven. And shortly after that, then he was healed. There was another occasion when Jesus went, uh, went to the pool of Bethesda. And around the pool were many who were sick. And Jesus went to one of them and healed him. The uh, implication, I believe, is that there were others that he didn't heal. 
Jesus didn't heal everybody. He healed many, and sometimes he did heal. Certain occasions he did heal everybody in that situation, and uh, we're going to look at that. But he is able. He is able. And then we come on to the faith of the centurion. You see, verse 5, Jesus gets into Capernaum. The centurion asks him about his servant who is sick at home. Jesus says, I'll go and hear him. He said, no need to go, just say it, and that'll be fine. And uh, so he does. And the man who was paralysed and suffering was cured that very hour. Was cured that very hour. Why was he paralysed? I don't know. It's possible that something might have happened in his life. But whatever it was, being paralysed means he could not move on. He couldn't make any progress because he was paralysed. I wonder if you're in that situation, something's happened in the past, something from outside, something from inside, and because of that you've never been able to move on. It's kept you where you are. And perhaps it's hurt as well. The man was suffering. You're hurting. You can't move on. And you need the word from Jesus. And then we get down to uh, the, the, Jesus and the others going into Peter's, mother, Peter's house and his mother-in-law is there. Very interesting that Peter had a mother-in-law. You know? Because to have a mother-in-law, you have to have a wife. So it indicates to me, and you might find the useful with talking to certain people, uh, that, that uh, Jesus actually had, uh, Peter actually had a wife. Uh, I'll just leave that, that's not really important. But, he, but when he went into the house, what did he see? It says he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Now if it had been me, I would have seen that dinner wasn't ready. But Jesus saw something else. And you, you, we're going to find this again later. It's, it's what people see. If you've ever studied Barnabas, if you do, look at the things he sees. They're wonderful, they're wonderful. But there we are. Jesus sees a person in need. You know, there are times when Jesus saw a great multitude and he felt, felt that they were like sheep without a shepherd. How often do I see a great crowd and think there are a load of people in the way? You know? Do I see them as sheep without a shepherd? Jesus did. He didn't see the empty table. He saw the, the lady and she, he saw that she was ill. And so he touched her hand and the fever left her. And I want you to notice something. She got up and began to wait on him. Isn't that lovely? A response from the work of Jesus. But it tells me something else too. Some people get the wrong idea about Jesus. That if he was living around today... You wouldn't need to do much shopping, just a few loaves and fish and a word of prayer and have a meal for everybody. Well, I just want to tell you that most of the meals that Jesus ate were prepared in the normal way. And most of the things you do in your Christian life are just very ordinary. You know, you go out to work and you earn some money and you bring it home and you spend on things you need and you get food and you eat and you live. Now, most of the things in the Christian life are very much like that. 
So don't don't expect a Christian life to be, you know, miracle after miracle after miracle and, and signs and wonders all day long. Most of it's very ordinary. And she didn't say, well, now you're here, Jesus. I've just got some food. Could you just pray over it and it'll all be on the table and ready? No, no. She just got up and did it as we would too. And hospitality is, is a great thing. And then the evening came, and uh, if we read in, I think it's Mark's Gospel, uh, we, we, uh, we read that it was actually, uh, they just come from the synagogue. These events, we tend to think they're all fitted in about eight hours, but actually they probably came over several days, and, and Matthew took one here and one there, um, otherwise... Jesus wasn't ministering for very long, was he? You know, a couple of days and you'll be there. Uh, but actually, it, was, it may have been spread over several days, several weeks, several months. Um, and Matthew picks up these particular events and puts them in order to teach us thing, things. And so, you see, it was Saturday evening when they came in verse 16 and many redeemer possessed were brought to him. They didn't come during the day because they didn't feel it was right for Jesus to heal on, the, on what should have been his day off. So they came in the evening. There was a very lovely hymn written about this a long time ago. Um, someone referred recently to Majesty being a new, a new song, uh, an old song. That depends, you know, what half of the 20th century you were born in. But this was a little older than that. And I won't read bits of it because it's, it expresses my thoughts very much. Uh, you, you don't want to base your theological teaching on what it says in hymns. But sometimes they sum up something beautifully and enhance what the Bible is already saying. <coughs> I won't sing it because it's not time to leave yet. But even ere the sun was sick, set, the sick, O Lord, around thee lay. Oh, in what diverse pains they met, oh, with what joy they went away. Oh, Saviour Christ, our woes dispel, for some are sick and some are sad, and some have never loved thee well, and some have lost the love they had. And some have found the world is vain, yet from the world they break not free. And some are friends who give them pain, yet have not sought a friend in thee. And none, O Lord, have perfect rest, for none are wholly free from sin. And they who fain would serve thee best are conscious most of wrong within. A little bit more I'm going to read later on, but I just want to leave that with you. You see, they came with all their problems, and it says, he healed all the sick. So on that occasion, all that was sick that came to him, he healed. Now verse 17 is an interesting verse. This was to fulfill what the prophet, what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. I'm not going to talk about that. That's one of the two I'd like you to look at during your cell group this week, all right? What did it mean, and what does it mean for us 
today. That's verse 17. And then uh, uh, he meets these two who sort of want to follow him, but there's things in the way. I'm not going to really deal with those. Just to say, verse 22, Jesus says, said to him, follow me, let the dead bury their own dead. You might like to work out what that means as well in your cell group and uh, what it means to us today in, in everyday life. What does it mean to us? What does it suggest? So it's verse 17, verse 22. And then they get into the boat uh, uh, with his disciples. Now, we just need to get this context because verse 18 has said, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. And then verse 23 then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. Oh, do I get a glass of water? That's good. I'm not going to throw it over you. I would have done that with the children, but uh, the children are gone. And this storm comes up to them. And they say, we are going to drown, we're going to drown. Now here's a question. How many of you in your lives have experienced some form of storm in your life? Just pop your hand up if you have. Yeah, if you have. Okay, thank you very much. Pop your hand down. If you did not put your hand up and you have brought up children, could I um, suggest you pop and see the doctor, if you can remember tomorrow, uh, to talk about the memory loss problem you have. (laughs) Okay. But storms come in our lives in all sorts of different ways, don't they? I've no need to mention them, but you know what would apply for you. Whether it's storms within the family, you know, financial storms, work storms, people, relationships, all sorts of things. Storms come into our lives. He said something very interesting. You of little faith. Why did he say that? Because our faith was a little What does faith mean? Well, we dealt with that for quite a long time in Hebrews and chapter 11. But I just want to suggest in this context, faith is basically listening to what God says and appropriately acting on it. Okay, listen to what God says, take it and say, yes, that's true, and then going on and acting on it. It's not always a feeling. So that they were running up and uh, running up and down, saying, "Lord, save us! We're going to drown! We're going to drown! Don't panic, Mr. Manreen! We're going to drown!" <laughs> you know what it's like. He says, "You've got little faith." You see, he had, he gave orders to do what? <coughs> Verse eighteen to go to the other side of the lake. It's very easy. <coughs> we're there here, and I want us to go there to the other side of the lake. That's our plan," said Jesus. They thought they were going there, you see. 
didn't they? You know, they didn't think they were going there. They thought they were going down to the bottom halfway across. But Jesus said, "We're going to the other side of the lake." So he got up and rebuked to the winds and the waves. It's interesting on the video they didn't want to add any words in, and I understand that's quite right. Uh, uh, apart from what was in the scriptures already. So, uh, so that they, he just put his hand up. Another gospel tells us that he told the winds to, to be still. Peace. Be still. There's a hymn about that as well, but I'm not going to read it. It's one of those like Marmite. You either loved it or hate it. I've never heard of it. You know? uh, but it did have that lovely line on uh, towards the end. The elements sweetly rest, which I think a lot of children have misunderstood as the elephant sweetly rest, but that's another story. So there we are. You know, Jesus calms it. And I wonder, perhaps there's a storm at the moment in your life that needs calming. I just wonder. Then he gets to the uh, healing of the two demon-possessed men. What, a, what a, an occasion that was. And they come out and he's able to cast the evil spirits out of them. Another gospel tells us there were 2,000 pigs into which the evil spirits went. And uh, they were healed. When I read it in verse 33, almost at the end of the chapter, those tending the pigs ran off into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. Well, what else did they tell about? They told that they lost their pigs. To them, that was the most important thing. They'd lost their pigs. And to them, their pigs were more important than the men that had been released. Just as you, uh, uh, those going to Peter's house might have seen the empty table or might have seen Peter's mother-in-law sick. They saw the pigs. Jesus saw the two men. The whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. We're not going to pinch chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus stepped into the boat and crossed over to his own town. He left them. But there is a lovely sequel to this, and it's in Mark's Gospel and chapter 7. And there it says that Jesus went to Decapolis. And there, oh, I just better find it. I should never remember at my age. Nearly as old as David, so that's getting on, isn't it? Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. That was the region where Jesus was. There some, brought him, uh, brought, some people brought a man to him who, could, who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged him to place his hands on the man. So he did. Isn't that lovely? There were people wanting to meet him when he went the second time. What was the difference? You see, these men had gone back and they told about Jesus, and eventually the people have come to realise. But the wonderful thing about it is this, 
that Jesus did not give up on them. He went back a second time. How easy it could have been for Jesus to just say, I'm never going there again. But his heart reaches out and says, I'll go there again. And there were some people who wanted him. There was a man there who needed him. It was in the region of the Gadarenes. Now they uh, come, we think, from the tribe of Gad. The tribe of Gad was one of those tribes that never crossed over the River Jordan all those hundreds and hundreds of years ago uh, in Joshua's time. They stayed, they stayed without crossing the Jordan. They weren't really willing to get into, Christian, into, into spiritual things like people today. Some of them are not really prepared to get into spiritual things, into Christian things. They go so far and no further. And the result was not just for them, but for their descendants. Hundreds of years later, there they were, a Jewish group, herding pigs, not wanting God's Son. That's very sad. I want to finish really with that last verse of that hymn that I read some of it to you. It says this, I touch a stick of ancient power, no word from thee can fruitless fall here in the solemn evening hour and in thy mercy heal us all. Maybe as we look back at some of the things that has happened, there was a man who needed to be cleansed there was a man who wasn't going anywhere. He was paralysed. He was suffering. There were those who were ill in various ways. There were those that were demon-possessed. Can I just say two things about that? There's two errors on deeper possession, I believe. One is some people say it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. That's one extreme. The other extreme is that say that anybody with anything wrong with them has got an evil spirit. And I believe that I believe personally there are two extremes which are neither which are true. Uh, but that they are existing and but they're not everything. There's those with storms in your life. Those perhaps Jesus has spoken to you once and you somehow sort of said, told him to go away but you want to meet him again. There's a touch of uh, ministry coming and prayer. I don't know quite the order from now, but I would just say that, you know, ministry is a form of service, isn't it? You know? So if you ever meet somebody who says that they're the prime minister, it simply means they're the number one servant. Right? Oh, do remind them, won't you? But uh, there is a time of serving, of people serving, there's a time of communion to come. And uh, I'll leave those thoughts with you of all that Jesus began to do as well as teach. Thank you so much, Derek. We've
we certainly heard from God there from Derek. I'm, I'm absolutely sure about that. And things that are going to touch our lives this morning. Yeah, John's just going to go up and get the children. So that's good. If he stays out there too long, we need to shout. We're going to continue in, uh, in our worship in, in a moment. But I, I just want to challenge you. But I feel that God is speaking to us through Derek's message in, 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 in one way, very much in particular. And that's through the paralyzed man that he was unable to move on. And I'm sure there's people here who feel that they need to move on. Because Derek also brought it out in, in, in the tribe of the, the Gadites, you know. In actual fact, they hindered the generations of people following after them. And so if we think of our families and think where we are, what best could we do for our family? And that's to start to move on with God, to dedicate our own selves to what God wants to do through us. Right, you'd like to come back, Steve, and that guy's... And 